Hey folks, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hi Tim. I was supposed to start this out because Sean's not here again. Hey, don't no worries, me, brother. Hey, we got you. And Papa here is having to set up all the the Papa is me. Yeah, he's having to Sean's Papa. <laughs> so uh, he's having to set up all the all the sorcery to so that we can actually sit here and talk to you. I mean that sorcery in a good sense. Uh, is there really a good sense? Well, probably not. But uh, for some of us, it might as well be sorcery because we can't <laughs> fire away out of a paper bag when something electronic messes up. But at any rate, uh, it's Friday Live and we're back here today. And uh, I really don't know what he's doing, so I'm just taking up dead space here. <laughs> I'm trying to share to the community group and to our page. <laughs> we are so professional. So, yeah. but one of the things, <clears throat> so in our, most of our ministry here, uh, we, uh, not necessarily just the podcast, but in, in uh, Crucible's Fire overall, you know, a big function that we do is to go out and to help people uh, kind of train them how to study the scriptures. And there's a lot of people that say that and do that and that kind of thing. And so we just mean in a real practical sense how to get down in original languages and tools to do that with so that anybody can do it. And in that sense, uh, we talk a lot about uh, uh, the relations or what seemingly the relations of the average Christian individual leadership types or anybody that's walking with the Lord and what that really looks like using the scripture as the contrast or the measure by which we try to come up with these things. Well, no, I think the part of the onus for doing that is we were talking about, I'm going to use my big word. Do it. Is we tend to romanticize. Oh yeah, that was a great. We do tend it. to romanticize. It's it. Okay. Here's a different analogy. It's like if you ask basketball fans of my age group, 48 ish, who watched basketball in the 90s? Who's the GOAT? Obviously, no questions asked. It's Michael Jordan. Best team of all time? The 80, late 80, early 90s Chicago Bulls. End of story. If you ask people in my age group, you ask these younglings, oh, and it's LeBron. Right. Michael was over. Right. And, and what they'll tell you is, oh, you romanticized how good it was, blah, blah, blah. Well, we do the same thing with Bible characters. We romanticize them into thinking they're not really human people having human problems. And as a side note, we do it with ages. We do. Not the age of people, but, you know, man, that greater generation, they really understood things about the kingdom and all that. Really? Well, their divorce rate was the highest it's ever been, you know, in the in the late 40s. For right. Good reason, but anyway. Well, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and that's what we do with biblical characters. We romanticize that they're somehow not human like we are. Yeah. We do the same thing with Jesus, even though it's very particularly and specifically shown in Scripture that he was tempted like we were. He was fully man, but we make these weird, oh, but he was God. He, you know, didn't yeah. do it like, and, and it's clearly stated, but we do it with people in, this, in the Bible. And this is a, what we're, what we're going to be talking about. <clears throat> if you happen to follow along in your Bible is over in First Chronicles 21. And it, there's a great story in there about King David, yeah, and it just shows him who, in hindsight, we can look back through through history and go, we know, Tim was saying this just a few minutes ago, we know from God's own report, he was his, he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. So his heart, Second Chronicles 16, 9, was perfect towards the Lord, fully devoted, 
to God, and yet we have things like the Bathsheba incident and the one that's in Second or First Chronicles twenty-one. And we're not trying to pick on him. We're trying to show what it what it's like to have to walk through this life. And everything we just talked about, we romanticize these things. We look at Paul and we would never associate any ill will with that guy or what he does or pick any name you want. Just because they're in the Bible, we make excuses for them, uh, not even trying to. We just accept the fact that they were kept by God and God had his eye on them. And we cannot even comprehend that he has our eye on us. Uh, has his eye on us. Yeah. Uh, intellectually, we may say that, but as we're walking day to day and all the credola going on in your mind, at least for me, uh, just because I do ministry with crucibles fire and I've, I hate making this statement, but I don't know how else to say it. I've led a lot of people to the Lord. Not me, but I mean, I was used in that. So I've done a lot of things ministry-wise that people would look at and go, ooh, ah. Uh, I don't measure it like that. Because every time I'm walking down the way, I know what I'm really like on the inside or what I'm capable of being like. Uh, well, and everybody knows that about themselves. Well, well, do they accept that or do not, they lie they, to themselves? They may not accept it, but... Yeah. What was in that movie, A Few Good Men? Deep down in those places you don't like to talk about at parties. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, people, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday, about looking into the mirror and what do you see? And, and I think sometimes the enemy lies to us too. Well, he does. But the fact is, is we're not God. We're limited. We are very limited. And so even talking about it, and we're, we're coaxing the scope here is what we're doing. Yeah. So, and it's important to, we're, we're trying to show you that these people in the scriptures that we use as examples, whether it's good or it's bad or, you know, whatever the context ends up being, we still are looking at this like it's a fairy tale of sorts that's not real. And uh, I, I don't know how to articulate that in terms of, I mean, through my growth and those kind of things, I've learned about the kingdom, I've learned about God, and I don't mean just academically, I right. mean in my right. walk. I have learned to accept these. When I see something like this in, in chapter 21, man, I can identify, not with the depth that he had to contend with it on that, but in other manners, I can look at it and go, man, yes, uh, because I do see them. Uh, I, I identify with the things that they're going through and troubling with now. And I, and I don't know if that's because God's given me that capacity. I think in the end, that's probably true. I can't claim any credit for it. Well, look, for me, it's incredibly encouraging to, to look into these stories and to see them as people because the flip side of that is, is that we look into them and go, oh, well, I could never be like David. Woe is me. And we turn into yeah, Eeyore. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, I'll never make it. Well, what was that? The Lilliputians and Gulliver's Travels, the cartoon? We'll never make it. We're doomed. You know, and you take <laughs> yeah. on that that sort of a, a, of a mindset. But it's encouraging to me uh, completely to see, especially what yeah. we're going to see in this story from a guy that we would all revere as, being you know this great and and oddly enough the same thing on the the other side of the cookie is is everybody looks at job like he was an idiot 
Like he must have done something wrong. Let me yeah, you. yeah. From, from, I was from, about to agree with. Where you. we stand on our, we go like, man, Job must have. There must be more to the story. That's what we want to know. Yeah. There has to. But the scriptures declare plainly that he was a righteous man before God. In fact, he was chosen by God to go through it because of his righteousness. And so many church people, and I'm talking about big academics and serious kingdom people, deal with Job saying God did this to him because Job needed to learn X, Y, Z. Maybe he did. But that's not the context of the story. <laughs> the context of it is, was God showing Satan who was boss? Yes. That, was that the is the context. Which is real similar to Bartimaeus <laughs> being, being blind his whole life. Yeah. For the sole purpose of glorification of Jesus. And, and so that jacks with people's theology. I, oh, I'm, in yeah. a, I'm in a theology class, Theology 1 right now. I'm going back to get my doctorate, and I had to take some leveling courses at the master's level, yeah. to, I had two or three courses I had to take before they'll let me into the doctoral program. And so this is typically something that your first semester MDiv or, you know, guys are taking, they're all young. And I, they might watch on this. I'm not busting on you, but it's just interesting to me to see not only how narrow and shallow the view of even salvific theology is, or the view of God, even their their theology basic proper, but how ardent they are that that's the way it is. What would you say the age age range is? And it looks like they're anywhere from the mid to late twenties. A yeah. lot of them, uh, some early thirties, and then there's a couple of us old farts that are in there peppered around. And I, there's one guy in particular you can tell by his picture. He and I are probably he may even be a little older than me. And we've all we've had two discussion posts. We're already finding ourselves in disagreement with the author of the textbook, in disagreement with, you know, the premise and all this. And we're like, yeah, that's not exactly how that works and, and this kind of stuff. And not that we're great theologians, just like, no, nah, that's just a narrow view. And, and I, I said all that to say, kind of in the context of where I was at Wednesday night at Crossbrand, and they're kind of in this middle of this deal of talking about deconstruction and apologetics and all of that, is... You know, it's okay to question. God, God actually, he talks about, you know, defending your faith and those sorts of things, and, and, and it's okay. Um, but, but the point of it is, is like not to narrow down, and I, and I said this in one of my posts, is like this whole propensity to like, I have to understand everything black and white, jot and tittle, and I got to get down to, I have to understand the formula, or the formula is no good and the salvation is not working. It's helpful to me to look into stories like this and go, what in the world is happening here? Because sometimes in my current life, I look at my life and go, what in the world is happening here? It's not oh, matching yeah. up. Yeah. So it's helpful to look in there. And, you know, my encouragement has been to suspend what you think you know in light of what God wants to teach you. And so we look into these stories and we're like, what is it that's happening in the relationship between God and his people? Yeah. And those... Even in particular, those whose hearts are perfect toward him, it's not this skip, you know, tiptoe through the tulip kind of a thing. You know, if your heart's perfect towards the Lord, then everything's wonderful. You'll never sin or whatever. Although we have that capacity. But that's not what happened in this text. Well, and I, so we've kind of. Uh, jump back to the story. Well, let me explain the story here. But look, we're still looking in the context of what does it look like? 
to have a perfect heart toward the Lord. And I know a lot of people that are serious Christians, and you tell them, is your heart perfect toward the Lord? And they go, <laughs> no way. And that's a that's really a, a, a legitimate response. And so in some of our teachings, you know, we're looking around through there, and I would tell you, you know, if you're actually pursuing the Lord in whatever level you're at, because you want to, not because you should or you're supposed to or all that. I mean, that's a genuine draw. I would tell you that your heart is perfect toward the Lord. And you're learning that. Being devoted. So like I was asking the age range in the classes that he's in, because these younger guys, you know, they're getting the black and white and that kind of thing. And they're just, you know, this is how it is. This is what it's going to be. And God is almost setting them up. Well, you know, well, it, it, it's it, not it, a bad thing that they're like that, but they're learning. It happened in our discussion because the question that we had this week was, can someone be saved by Christ with only universal revelation instead of specific or special revelation? In other words, they don't have the word. Can they just be saved in Christ by just what you observe? Yeah, you told me that. And my opening day. statement was, I don't like the question because the question is too finite for God. I mean, blah, blah, blah. And then we had this back and forth. And there were several people that were extremely dogmatic about, and I, and I get where they're coming from, you know, because he is the only, there's only one name under heaven whereby man can be saved. I get it. Post death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, yes, things changed. And so I'm not denoting, you know, in the way with that. But you still have to deal with Old Testament saints and things like that. And I laid out there, said, so how are you going to handle mental difficulty? children, those sorts of things. And universally, the response was, well, I don't know. I don't know. But, but still, you, you, you have to. You <laughs> yeah. have to and, and so I'm pushing back going, so you're saying you have to be able to audibly say the name of Jesus in order to be saved. Yes, that's right. Well, what about the mute? Well, well, well there's no. And so, and, but my whole point was is that they have to back themselves up into these weird gymnastical hoops of jumping through stuff to and bending of and like i'm not even questioning the core faith i'm just like but you have to open up into there are things that are not going to be explained by your finite definition of what those things actually mean well i'm coming to rest with that if you think you know what you know and this is the way it's supposed to be and you figure it encompasses the eternally how how it works this is the right. way it works if your heart is perfect toward the lord somewhere in there god is going to stir your world up to where you're going i just like you said you bring up these instances and people are going oh, i don't know about that well you know if you're genuinely kind of stunned by those kind of things that's that's probably a good thing it doesn't mean you're evil because you hold those things it means that you lack the knowledge and experience of working with God, which is part of something we're fixing to talk about in here. And so let me tell you the story here. Get up. So uh, in, in First Chronicles, you know, David has become king. He's been recognized as king. He's been put in that place. And Israel, and I speak of Israel, so we're talking about all the tribes, and David's the king, and I mean they are just cleaning house yeah. on every... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I started to say tribes of people, but all the different cultures and Demographic. villages and demographics of things that are around there. 
And, you know, a lot of people in today's day would look at that and go, well, it wasn't theirs to take. It didn't belong to them. Let's not get into that argument here. Uh, but let's keep looking at it from the sense that God told him to go do these things. And he did. And he did. And in the previous two or three chapters of that, you see that it says that they went and they conquered these people or these people tried to raise up and they just wiped them out. And, and their commonality is that David or God was with David and God was with David and God was with David. There's not a lot of conversation about, Lord, do we go camp? Do we do deal with these or do those? I don't know what happened in that. Yeah. If he was led to go conquer a certain place or what. But at any rate, that's what's happening. And we get into chapter 21 here. Uh, so things are going well, I guess, for the shepherd boy guy. Now, this is an uneducated, uh, uh, uncultured individual. That's David. Yeah. Uh, looking at it from our point of view. It was like Tim being king. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I can't help it. I've met people that have a lot of money and they'll have some big family ranch or something, you know, and you don't even know that they're the owner because they're all they're nasty, like, beat up. They've been working and, you know. And they're George Strait. <laughs> dirty George Strait. Yeah. I mean, like anyway, filthy. Anyway. You know the story. Uh, that's David, right? Uh, he's an uncultured swine in the land of the intellectuals. Uh, but this guy's the king, right? Doing great things. He does great things for the people, too. It's not that they're just conquering everything. They love him. And uh, God is with him. We get to this point right here, and it says, uh, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. So here's, here's the first thing. Now, we're talking about people whose hearts are perfect toward the Lord. Well, Satan could never influence me. If You can get into all kinds of theology where that's dealt with. But let's just look at what's happening here. Here's a guy who has experience with God. And before this is when the issue with Bathsheba happened. So we're talking about people that are, that are uh, hearts are perfect toward the Lord. So with, with Bathsheba and that problem, he just dissed out, well, one, he was where he shouldn't have been to begin with, but <clears throat> he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath and he decides that, She's going to be for him. And he commits murder. He does all kinds of things. Uh, and you don't see any mention about Satan and all that. That was all on him. His own sinful desires to pursue, do whatever. This one says that Satan stood against Israel. And so the New American Standard says it moved David to number Israel. This one says incited him. And that's probably a good way to do it. And depending on how you want to argue the word, the New Living Translation says uh, that Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take this in. I, I would argue with that specific word, but uh, the point is, is we have a guy here who's perfect toward the Lord, and Satan, uh, actually the word that's used there doesn't have a specific word to describe it, but it influenced would be a good word to that. Uh, or uh, what's another one? Uh, uh, it's not provoked. Uh, I don't know what you're meaning. Well, if you're seduced. Seduced. Uh, I can see that's, that. That's the word I'm looking for. Because seduced kind of has, he seduced, but David had to buy in on it too, yeah. sort, of, sort of. You know what I mean? 
Right. Uh, and it wasn't without pushback. When he went and told Joab, hey, this is what I want you to do, Joab pushed back and was like, you, you don't need to do it. And that. don't get caught up in the census, okay? That's yeah. what he was doing. He was numbering how many people were in the kingdom. Uh, and there's, you, you can study about issues with that. Exodus 30. Yeah, Exodus 30. Anyway, so Satan, Satan seduces David. David's going, so basically he's wanting to count everybody to show... This is what we did, and this is why we beat you, all these other things. Look how great we are. He's getting away from his vision of God is is our life and what drives us. It's not unlike the opposite of Gideon. Hmm. Because if you remember the story of Gideon, he had this all, this all these folk, and they just got whittled down and whittled down and whittled down. Instead of being so that when it was over, they wouldn't be able to say, this occurred because of this great army. Yeah, It occurred because of the Lord. Well, David's attempting to exercise the opposite of that. Look how great we are. That Yeah, so he got a little prideful there, basically. And remember, this is a guy whose heart's perfect towards the Lord. You mean Satan can can influence somebody who's perfect toward the Lord? Yeah. Uh, so don't get lost on that. And so he goes to his right-hand man, and he says, I want you to go out and let's get all the people numbered. And that's Joab. Joab's the guy that's basically in charge of his army. And Joab was like, huh, what? You... <laughs> it doesn't say that he said, God tells you you can't do that, but he knew that he wasn't supposed to do that. He w- Joab knew that David wasn't supposed to do this. This is not something we're supposed to do. Well, specifically in the last question he asked, why should he bring guilt on Israel? He's asking, why, why are you going to bring this? He knew it was going to, that tells you, because he asked a few other questions, you know, like surely God's in control, blah, blah, blah. it doesn't matter what we have. Why are you doing... Then he gets to the last one. David, why are you bringing this guilt on us? And they have the kind of relationship where he's like, brother, what what are you thinking here? But he goes on and does it. And I don't know if David pulled rank on him or what that was. Well, I think he did because he says, yet the king's order prevailed over Joab. He's still the king. Yeah, he's still the king. So Joab was in a bad place. So David put him in a bad place. Yep. And he went and he did what David told him to do, but he didn't do it to two of the tribes. He didn't do it to Judah or Benjamin. Uh, no, it was Levi and Benjamin. Okay. So he didn't he didn't go to, to Levi and Benjamin, and you know, it doesn't really talk about it. But Joab was, I don't know where Joab's heart or his walk with the Lord was necessarily, but he'd been watching David for many years. And yep. so he knew something was messed up here. It wasn't right. That's not David that's doing that. I'm not saying Satan made me do it. <laughs> He's just going, this isn't the David that I've been following all the time with yeah. this kind of deal. But he also knew David's propensities in the flesh. Yes, he He'd did. He'd been around for that. He knew what he was looking at. It's just like with you and I, as, as close as we are. I can tell if you're starting to get into the doldrums or whatever, because yeah. you know people, and, and vice versa, you know. If I'm getting off into legalism or whatever, um, my temper, you can see it coming because we spend so much time together. This is the same thing. He knew something was rotten in Denmark. So with that said, David's heart's perfect toward the Lord. And remember, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, elders and people that are mature in their walk with the Lord uh, because you respond differently later on uh, as you've had encounters with God and what that means. So don't look at this as like a one-time incident, never happened before and all that. There's history here, so you can't leave that part out. So they go and they do the census, and uh, I don't know if he'd actually finished it or not, but 
it says in verse 7, God was displeased with this thing, uh, so he struck Israel. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's in verse 7. This command was also evil in God's sight, so he afflicted Israel. So, well, but before that, God told uh, a prophet, I think they call it a seer, depending on what version you use, said, you need to go tell David that he's messed up here. No, that's after that. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm really out of whack here, isn't I? Well, it's, it's, the, it's right after that. Um, it says, David said to God, I have sinned greatly, verse 8, I have done this thing, now please take away your servant's guilt. And then the Lord instructed Gad, David's seer. It's the very next verse. Right, right. So, so David, comes, David comes to the Lord and he's like, he had a, what have I done moment. I, I can't take this back. Um, but this is one of those key points, and I do want to stop here. We started out talking about we, we need to look at these characters as people. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where you can almost see him going, oh, you know, just, he's, he's, what, why did I do, how many of you have ever done, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Um, and this is a big deal. This is not like, oh, why did I turn left when I should have turned right? Or why didn't I go by the store that my wife asked me to? This is like, why did I cheat on my spouse? Why did I start a war with another country? I mean, you know I mean? This is like, yeah. Why did I do something that's going to destroy my entire family, whatever? I mean, this is lamentation here. It's not just, oh, man, I didn't need to eat those carbs. That's that's not the level here. But he immediately, it seems, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of, I guess that all the, whatever, however long it took Joab to do it, to travel, which would have been a bit. That's the time that David had to come to his senses and go, this was a dumb idea. Well, I think he was working through it. Where I got confused at was the timing in it. So he realized that he had messed up after the census was done, or a big part of right. it. And Joab, I think, was pushing back on him big time because it says that he abhorred what David yeah, told him to do. Yeah, to him. And that's why he didn't, he didn't take it to Judah or Levi. Right. So somewhere in there, I guess David finally came to his senses, so to speak. Right. And uh, it said that God struck Israel. Now, I don't know what happened right there, but then Gad, who is this other guy, comes in and says, look, you've messed up here, and here's, your, here's the sufferings you're gonna, the people are going to deal with because you did this. Now, that, that's, another, that's another step in terms of leadership. If you intentionally go off on your own, and we can put it in context of church leadership or whatever, but really it, it doesn't matter. If you're walking with the Lord and you intentionally uh, do something stupid in regards to that, there's going to be collateral damage. There's going to be collateral damage. In this case, he's running Israel. And for his sin, they paid for it. Yep. And God gives him an option. Gives him three options. You can have famine for three years. Yep. You can have... Uh, uh, Three months of devastation by your enemies with the sword. So you can get torn up by war after all this stuff. Now, And David has seen both of those, by the way. He's yeah. seen famine and he's seen what war's like. Or yeah. three days of the sword of the Lord. That one's the interesting one. Yeah. And so he tells Gad, he's, and he's probably just... Now, we've seen David in the past and how he responds when he's starting to see how he's messed up. Uh, 
And so he 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 says, don't do it by my enemy's hand. Do it by God's hand. Yeah. And so it says that God well, sent a pestilence. And that's important. The way it actually reads is he says, let me fall into the Lord's hands and not human's hands. He's like, mm. and he's not just speaking about his other people. He's talking about his own. Yeah. He's like, I don't at this moment trust my ability to make the proper choice. Or even if he was feeling sorry for himself, he's going, let it go by your hand, because if it goes the other way, I know what can happen through that. Exactly. And, and that, to me, was one of the pivotal moments of the story, because he started this thing relying on himself, not relying on God. And that's, we when can, he had habitually been relying, relying on God. God. And so, and that's, and to, really, that is the underlying problem with the census. We can talk about it some other time. He yeah. wasn't relying on God. In that moment, even in the face of his punishment, and especially in the face of his punishment, he's saying, "You're the only one that I can trust." Yeah, and really, I see a buildup here. I do too. I think he started on his own, and just because of his experience and walking with God and knowing how God was, that's the first one. He's going, "What have I done here?" Then he gets choices coming in by the word of God, and he's really going, oh, man, he's, he's starting to reel here, uh, and, he, and he does. He trusts the hand of the Lord naturally, so he even says that. And then it says that, uh, uh, so it says that God sent a pestilence, and he killed 70,000 people, whatever that pestilence was. I don't know if it was disease or... The Rona. bugs or who knows what? Yeah, the <laughs> no. I'm sorry. COVID nineteen. YouTube just YouTube just censored us. I'm sure <laughs> I'll be getting an email. So, <laughs> so uh, he this pestilence comes and then he sends. God's watching this happen and it. I think it's killing him because it says here. Uh, uh, he sent. He got verse fifteen. Then God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But when the angel was about to destroy the city, the Lord looked, relented concerning the destruction, and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. And New American Standard says the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity that was happening and said to the destroying angel, It's enough. In the fancy King James language here, it's enough. Now, now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor. That's a different part of the story. And here's where I was trying to get. So whatever this pestilence that was happening in the spiritual world, I hate using that too, but uh, we see this angel of the Lord, and in later discussion in here, we know that he's got his sword drawn, and he's right. got his hand over what is Jerusalem. Jerusalem actually had another name, but Jerusalem basically means peace. And so uh, it says in the next verse there in 16, it says, now remember, David's already beating himself up, right? Now at this point, it says, then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven with his sword drawn in his hand, stretched out, and his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Well, then so, yeah, they had the sword out over the Jerusalem. What this one reads with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. So I take it back. Then David and the elders covered with and then elders covered with sackcloth fell on their face. 
So David is a guy whose heart is perfect toward the Lord and he has experience with God in all kinds of situations and stuff. By the miraculous takings, and David has always has many times gone and said, man, why did he do this with me? Who am I that you would consider that? That's not a one-time verse. Right. He's made that statement many times. When he's standing in the glory of the Lord, he sees what he is. And I don't mean he's going, oh, poor pitiful me. He's in awe. <laughs> and I'm saying that because I've, I've experienced that a lot, especially when I do dumb things or whatever it is, and I see that God still wants to tarry with me. Right, right. And, and I want to tarry with him too. So there's a, it's a two-way thing. And so when he sees that image, he is able to interpret it because of his time with the Lord for what it is. And all the things he's going, oh, man, I messed up in the very first part of that. I almost think that's an intellectual decision. And he felt bad because he had not followed what God, how God liked to have things done. He was worried about how his daddy thought about what he did. It doesn't yeah. matter why he did it. Yeah. Uh, that's somebody who's perfect toward the Lord and has grown to a certain place. And then he's able to see this image and he's able to interpret it for what it is. Uh and so I think in one big swoop, so to speak, you could say it's not that he just really understood how big and vast this thing was. It says that God was, the Lord was sorry for how the people and the things were suffering for what was going on by that hand, even though it's just. It's not like he went, oh, I went too far here. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not it. And David was able to comprehend, in the, he's, he's in the presence of God when he sees that thing. And he's like, do as you will, and I will take my place, <laughs> not as a worthless piece of scum, but in a worshiped function for you. Same, it's the same response Job had at the end when he said, I think I'll stop talking now. And, and, oh man, yeah. You know, because when Jesus, or when Jesus, when, when, when the Father was speaking to, Job and he hit him with those questions. Where were you when I did this? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And it just overcame Job that I was nowhere. That's where. I'm not you. I am there's a reason that you are called holy, which means other than. You're different. You're built different, what the kids would say now. He's yeah. just different. And Job takes his rightful place. He says, I'm gonna cover my mouth. I'm gonna stop speaking. And David took that position, and you're right, it's a buildup. We go from, oh, snap, that was a terrible decision. Uh, give me what I got coming. He sees what's coming, and he gets to a place of abject, utter repentance. If his heart was not perfect toward the Lord, he wouldn't have done that. I heard a guy say one time, you know, everybody wants to know, am I saved, am I not? And even in this discussion in my class, everybody was, what they're trying to do is create a fail-proof litmus test of whether or not people are actually saved and then try to understand what the mechanism was that got them there so they can reproduce the mechanism and make sure everybody gets saved. It's right. a very human approach very human. to figuring it out. But I understand it. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I've heard people say is this, is a good test for your own heart, is when you screw up and you realize it, are you running away from your father or to him? And if you're running away from him in fear, you might not be his. That's a fair question to ask. Yeah. If you've never really 
you might have an ascension to him, but not really a trust in him. But when you have the response of the prodigal son, when you are a son and you screw up and you run to him, like David ran to him. Yes. And fully ready to take what was coming, even put his family out there and said, Yeah. Take your hand off of, of Israel. Put it on me and my family. I did this. This is on me. That's the mark of a man whose heart is perfect towards the Lord. And that's the place of maturity that we, we hope. And we, we want the Spirit of God to lead us to. Yeah. So the flip side, I think, of a situation uh, for someone whose heart is perfect towards the Lord, we could contrast Job with this because we have similar conditions. It says that Satan influenced David to do what he did. So, I mean, there was probably a propensity in there for David to kind of beat his own chest a little bit in some regard, and Satan just threw a little water on that fire. Job, on the other hand, didn't Satan didn't try to influence him because he couldn't. Yeah, he was kept. Uh, he was most definitely kept. And uh, uh, Satan gets to influence Job's life. And the thing is, in Job's life, his wife's telling him to curse God and die. He's got all his friends around him that were there. In a, I mean, they were trying to hold their friend up, and they're having conversations in the first part of it, and they're talking about, well, but you had to have done this, or you had to have done that. And, Jacob, and Job's telling him, look, <laughs> this is what God has brought. I mean, he didn't know what was going on either, but he was going to stand his ground in that regard. And then later on in that story, that's where he, I think God put him in a position to where he was standing up for God. And then all that has nothing to do with it anymore. And he starts facing God and he's going, I think in the end of it, he's going, well, you are what I see. I just can't, I don't know how to articulate that or deal with that. And uh, in an eternal sense, the same thing that David's dealing with here, when he saw that angel based on his experience with God and knowing things, he wasn't asking himself, am I saved or not? He knew that he was part of the, of the Lord and wanted to be part of the Lord, even though he had messed that up. But there wasn't nothing, there wasn't anything there that was irredeemable. And God's not a tit for tat. If he was, he would have gone, okay, well, I'll take your dad and your family and all that stuff, and they're going to suffer for what you did. <laughs> That's not even brought up again mm -hmm. in all of this. Uh, anyway, well, the, I, it's, it's, it's interesting that we seem so hyper-focused. It's just our nature, God love us. It is our nature, um, and that's part of the discussion here. It's just, to, you know, i got to make sure I've done all the things. I got to make yeah. sure I tick all the boxes. And God is, according to scriptures as I read them, is far more concerned that we just know who he is and that we know how he feels about us and that we are part of him. And that is a journey. It is a journey. And that's why, and you get down to the end, we got to land the plane, but you get down to the end of this chapter and you brought it up earlier. But the angel was standing over a place the it was the threshing the threshing floor of a guy named Ornan and long story short David buys the threshing deal and takes it over and he builds an altar there because that's mm. where he that's where he saw the Lord that's where he saw the presence and the essence of the Lord jump all the way back I was talking about this Wednesday Genesis 28 Genesis 32 with Jacob and Bethel and Jacob and Peniel and 
at the end of chapter 21, you see J David building the house. This is the house of the Lord God where we're going we're gonna to offer burnt sacrifices. So in the two or three chapters before this, that conversation had come up. I want to build you a house. And yeah. God said, nah, you can't do it, but I'm going to let your, I'm going to let your prodigy do it. It's a little different than that, but I'm just, yeah, just waxing over the top here. And uh, uh, so at the end of this thing, after we've gone through all this rigmarole and hoo-ha, so this is actually in Jerusalem. Right. And the angel tells David to build an altar. And so he builds the thing, and he sacrifices to it, and he prays to God to accept it. And this is another Elijah moment. Yep. God swishes down, and I don't really know what happened there. In Elijah's time, a big fire came down and burned everything, even the lakes of water that were poured around it, and consumed it and took it, showing how powerful he was. Well, the same thing happened here. I don't know if it was in that big a scale, but anyway, he comes down and he does it. He, that's, I think that's where you were going. So you yeah. got Jacob with, with Bethel, which is house of God, and Peniel, which is face of God. I would tell you by the actions that happened here, both of those things kind of transpired. Yeah. Anyway, where that happened, that's where the temple is built. Well, and, and in just a few short chapters of our Bible, you go from David saying, I want to build this temple for you. You know, you can't do it. Then this happens. Yeah. And almost immediately after it in 22, you start seeing, well, he kind of accepts his lot in life. He accepts his position. I'm not going to build this thing, but by golly, I'm going to make sure they got all the gear to do it. Yeah, right. And, at, that's what happens at the end of this. He starts and, and storing chapter, the stuff. Chapter 22 is about immeasurable amounts of bronze and about cedars and stone cutters. And, and he's like, Solomon's going to build this temple because God said so. And and it's it's like David gets his second or third or 20th wind gets his bearings he gets his spiritual bearings and yeah. and it it took for whatever reason y'all go with me on this job couldn't be touched because he was protected but for some whatever reason in god's wisdom david was allowed to be touched by satan in this okay yeah it doesn't mean that the consequences don't come because they did, but it was those very consequences that everybody else paid that brought David to a place of repentance, got his spiritual bearings, and it was this thing that was the catalyst for the building of the Bethel, the house of God that would come and would hold the Peniel, the face and Shekinah glory of God, where people could get into it. <laughs> Guys, we don't even have time to delve into the depth of that, but just... I guess my encouragement is this, is whenever you've made a mistake, you made a bad call and there's, and, and you may not even have known you did it, but when you know it and you see the collateral damage, the proper response is to go back to the father and say, this is on me, whatever's coming, I accept it. But then you get up out of that, you get your bearings yeah, and you do what he tells you to do. The reason like it or not, we're all messed up. And I'm not just throwing some saying out there, but we were all so messed up that God had to come and die for us to make us right. Yep. Don't miss that. Oh, well, then I can't be, you know, I can't 
if I do anything towards God and all that, uh, there's no way I'm not going to do that. That's okay to realize that. He's not worried about it. Right. <laughs> He's not worried about it. Not even a little. Um, hmm. We got to land the plane. We could, and we may, we may actually take this further next week. You never can tell. Um, if you're in the Lindell area Sunday, I'm going to be teaching at uh, Cross Brand. In mm -hmm. Lindell, Cross Brand Cowboy Church, uh, love to see you. Um, got a lot coming up on the on the fifth of uh, February. I'll be at uh, China Grove Baptist Church. Oh, really? Teaching for them. That came up today. Um, on the twelfth uh, of February, I'll be preaching at Church Under a Bridge in Tyler, and we're going to take our small group out there and do some service there. I'm looking forward to that. On when we've got. Uh, February the 25th, we've got a Horsegate Pastors Conference. We'll be putting up a table there. Um, it's a pastors conference. I think it costs like 10 or 15 bucks to get in. Um, but I, I'll put the link out there. Uh, you'll have a good time. It's going to be a good time of fellowship and teaching. That's at Cross Brand as well. Um, and then we maybe be going back down in the valley in April. We haven't solidified that yet, but we're hoping to. It's got a lot going on, and uh, so we're we're still trucking. Um we love you guys. You got any last words of wisdom? I mean, do you have any? Wisdom? I don't even know that wisdom could be applied to me. It can no. too. <laughs> anyway, we, go out and listen. Find us. You can find the Crucible of Fire on Spotify. I'm putting the, the this. That's what it's called. Is the Crucible of Fire? It's out there. We're on YouTube as well. Uh, like us, even if you don't like us. Like us on social media. Uh, share the podcast. It helps us and uh, helps us to to beat the algorithms. You guys have a great day. We'll see you next week, Lord willing. Have a great time in worship with your local church somewhere. See you all later.